Hey team, Richard Tubb here with another episode of Tub Talk, the podcast for IT consultants. Now, on this show, we pride ourselves on shining a light on the people and the businesses who are rocking and shaking the MSB world, helping you, our dear listeners, to know first about the next big thing. Well, my guest today is part of a cybersecurity business for MSPs that has been sweeping North America with incredible feedback from the raving fans it has created. Dre Agger manages operations for the UK side of the cybersecurity phenom Huntress. Now, Huntress have taken the MSP industry by storm with their proactive approach to providing cybersecurity support to managed service providers and with their open and transparent culture. Dre, welcome to Tub Talk. Hey, Richard. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. Now, I've got to say, for, for long-time listeners to this show, they normally hear me say, I'm at home in the studio garage in Newcastle upon Tyne. We are not in Newcastle upon Tyne. We are all the way across the water in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. And you and I are at Exchange uh, EMEA 2023, which is a big managed service provider event. So there's MSPs from all across Europe and further afield uh, who are here. I saw you speak earlier on. Uh, you were on the big stage talking a little bit about Huntress, and I said, I've got to interview that guy. So uh, thanks for joining us. How are you finding Amsterdam? No, it's lovely. Amsterdam, I, I described it earlier, it's like somebody took England but made it look a lot nicer. Um, and I love being exchange. Yeah, you'll always see me talking. It's shutting me up. That's actually the real the real challenge. Um, but no, I'm happy. I love talking about cybersecurity, and I'm very happy to make it on your podcast. Excellent. Well, looking forward to speaking to you. So I guess we should jump straight in by saying, like, we've got a global audience uh, for this show, many of our listeners around the world, um, but, you know, many listeners will be in UK and Europe as well, perhaps never heard of Huntress. So you've made a big splash in uh, North America. So give us an overview of who Huntress are and how you help MSPs. For sure. So Huntress is there to stop you getting hacked by the hackers for your devices that can get hacked. It's relatively simple, but most people don't know Huntress because of that. Most people know Huntress because of two things. One is my colleague, John Hammond. John Hammond is a very famous YouTuber for cybersecurity. He's very handsome and very polite. <laughs> it's a nightmare because it's just <laughs> you know enviable. And the other thing people know Huntress for is that we're often at the scene of the crime when there are big uh, zero days, big vulnerabilities, big exploits, and we're there reversing it and, and getting information to the community. But we don't actually sell any of that. Oh. What we sell is a uh, handful of security agents that will go either on a Windows, Mac, or into your Microsoft 365 environment that will protect and then uh, reject any attacks that uh, hackers are trying to put out there. We also offer security awareness training, and to be frank, I like our security awareness training because it's quick, and it's not as boring as the others. I want to jump in with something. So many of our listeners will be familiar with perhaps the concept of a NOC, a network operation center, you know, uh, a team that looks after things in the background. Uh, many of our listeners may have even taken the plunge and perhaps outsourced their help desk to a third party to help them, you know, to free up their resources, yep. concentrate on what they do well. Would you categorize Huntress as a SOC, a security operation center? Yep. So we are a textbook SOC. I would actually go as far as say we're a SOC plus. Mm -hmm. And the reason I do that is because it's quite egotistical of me. I've made sure that the analysts we've got are trained a little bit more than the SOC. And you heard me talk about this earlier, Richard. A normal SOC, they're designed to close tickets. It's no disrespect to them, but they've been taught the, the bare minimum to get them through that ticket. We do things differently here. We've made sure that all our analysts are digitally forensically trained. 
We've made sure they know how to reverse malware, that they understand how to use reports and investigation theory to produce something for a reader that is actually useful. So yes, we are a SOC, but I would say we're a SOC plus. SOC plus. SOC plus. I like that, I like that. It's probably so. trademarked by somebody though. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll dig into a little bit more about what that means is, but fundamentally, as I understand it, Huntress are um, uh, partnering up with MSPs, you know, to provide them with security, you know, not just guidance, but proactive security. You're also there if, or should I say when, it hits the fan and there's yep. a breach. Perhaps we'll dig into that a little bit further. But, we, you know, we alluded to the fact you've got a wonderful reputation in uh, North America. Uh, clearly, you're in Europe now. Uh, eagle-eared listeners will will hear. You don't have a North American accent. You've got a, a lovely King's English uh, accent there. So what are Huntress's plans for the UK? And you're heading up the, the UK you know, arm of uh, the Security Operations Centre. Tell us what the plans are for the UK. For sure. So, I mean, we need to start really with Huntress has always been quite global. So the UK has existed. The UK has existed for lots of time. The Huntress... <laughs> UK arm has existed for the last three years, uh, as has our Australia New Zealand offering. What we're trying to do now is previously we've we've had UK analysts just to follow the sun. So what that means is no one in the SOC is, is having to stay up till two in the morning. Right. They can work good hours. And if you have analysts working good hours, they'll do good quality work. We now want a slice of the pie when it comes to cybersecurity in the UK. And it's been too long because they did Australia first and I took that personally. So Huntress are finally going to expand in the UK. What we hope to see in 12 to 36 months is, to be frank, us getting boots on the ground. We don't just want to be an American company that comes in and, and, and sort of enforces this American way of American folks. Nothing wrong with my American colleagues, but we want to have authenticity and we want to have community. I'm arguably one of the main reasons I'm here is because we actually care about the people that we work for and work with. So, yep, you can expect us to be at more booths, at more conferences, but you also should expect us to be picking up the phone, trying to have a conversation. Most of the time, the people calling you aren't going to be trying to sell stuff. Mm -hmm. They're going to try and talk and learn and listen. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We'll go a bit further into Huntress shortly, but I want to know about your own journey as well. You and I were chatting a little bit. I believe that... Like me, did you start your career off on as, as a lowly help desk, help desk person? As help desk, yeah. yeah. Tell us more about mm -hmm. that then. So I was 14 years old and I'd always been quite handy with the computer because I used to use a lot of uh, LimeWire, yeah. which downloaded uh, sometimes music, sometimes malware. Dubious, dubious software. Incredibly. Um, and my dad, he, my dad was really good. He said, look, I can see that you're passionate as long as you can fix this so that your mum never finds out you can keep doing it. And my mum doesn't know this, so this is the first time <laughs> she's going to be hearing this. So I got really good at just knowing how to just un undo and, and do, and it was great. So my first job was at 14, and I was the help desk for a lovely lady who ran a scarf company, and they used uh, materials from a particular community in, in, in sub-Saharan Africa. It was a real, like, she, it was a real like, good mission that she was on. But she, she couldn't do IT for the life of her, and so she used to pay me I think it was a fiver a day. I was getting absolutely robbed to manage her Microsoft Access and just generally be there as a help desk. Uh, I started there. I kind of continued doing IT, continued doing junior sysadmin. And I had a boss who said, hey, you, you, you can go and do really great things. You just need to stay dedicated and actually put some of your own work in. He's like, you know, go and learn. Because I used to bother him and say, teach me this, teach me that. And I grew up at a time where I think the internet was just getting good at giving you answers. Yeah. And so those two combined, I mean, I just sailed through. I did junior sysadmin, sysadmin, network engineering, junior security, uh, incident response. Incident response burnt me out a bit. 
Mm. It was a little bit before COVID, so traveling and, and going on site, it, it was tiring. It kind of ruins families and relationships because you, you're never around. Yeah. And so I had enough of that, but I still wanted to make a difference. I made a difference at Help Desk. I made a difference as junior. I made a difference at every stage. And I reached out to Huntress because of exchange back in spring 2021. Mm. They, they really saved my butt with their blog. Exchange in the in North America? Yeah, so, uh, sorry, Microsoft Exchange. Oh, Microsoft, Microsoft, Microsoft Exchange of vulnerabilities yeah. of, of uh, I think they were called Proxy Shell. Yeah. Back in spring 2021, and it was a Microsoft blog. Uh, Microsoft blog, it was a Huntress blog. Huntress blog. It was a Huntress blog that um, I was working a case of exchange and it was a huntress blog that got me through that and i thought wow these they gave that to me for free or this was you know super unredacted they just gave it and so you know i always kept an eye out for them and then i put a feeler out and from the first time i spoke to my boss max rogers uh i knew this was the place i wanted to be because everybody's just so nice i'm probably the meanest person there if you're, if you're the meanest person there, then you must be an incredibly nice bunch of people because I've seen you <laughs> work in the room talking to people today, my friend. You have uh, you get on with people really, really well. I find it, two things I want to pick up on there. The first one is, you know, you talked about LimeWire and things. I've interviewed some, some of the top people in cybersecurity on this podcast. Nearly all of them start off from a position of, uh, demolishing stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to say doing bad stuff, but sort of working out how the bad stuff is implemented yeah. and then realize, actually, I don't want to be the Sith here. I don't want to be the dark Jedi. Yep. I want to be the, the Jedi Knight sort of uh, fixing this. And the other thing I want to pick up on that you said was about the stress that goes with cybersecurity professionals. Man alive, you know, I've been on the road the past few weeks and speaking to people in the cybersecurity industry, and I'm quite outspoken about my own mental health challenges. Cybersecurity, holy cow, people are getting burnt out, running into the ground. So when you said, you know, you you said that you treat the, the staff are treated really well. Um, you know, you don't want tired members of staff. You yep. don't want members of staff who were burnt out. What does that culture look like as a whole? Is that sort of replicated uh, across the planet? So, you know, it's interesting because the first time I entered tech, everybody said, oh, you're going to be staying up giving late nights. And it was, yeah. it's, I think it's a danger with tech and, and we're doing the thing we love but the thing we love doesn't love us back. Yeah. And the thing that you and I do at two in the morning when we're 14 isn't the same thing we can do at two in the morning when we've got commitments, responsibilities, family. And cybersecurity is especially dangerous because there's always something new. There's always a new vulnerability. There's always something dire. That means you can push yourself a little bit more. And I can't speak, I'm, and, you know, I've worked for lots of companies and their cultures vary. Where I'm at now, my boss will message me and tell me to get offline. Yeah. He has joked that he should rescind my access outside of work hours. I am a stickler for people. If I see them online and they report to me, I'm like, hey, you need to get off. Yeah. Huntress is one of the few places that has no desire to burn you out. And that isn't to um, sort of admonish other companies. I'm not saying they want to, but Huntress does the opposite. Sometimes to a fault, when there's a hot zero day, I really want to stay up, Richard. Yeah. And people are telling me, no, you need to go offline. So it's, it's a testament to what Huntress is doing, but it's rare. I speak to a lot of people, in cybersecurity, but just in tech, who know that they're on a treadmill. Yep. They just have to keep going. And it's because they're doing what they love. And I don't know how we fix that, but it isn't by doing more of the same. It isn't. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to shine a light on that conversation and what Huntress are doing. At the top of you know uh, this podcast, I said you've acquired a really good reputation in North America. So thanks for sharing that story about how you became introduced to Huntress because I've watched from a distance over you know the past uh, couple of years or more and I see people within the tech tribe, other communities talking about how Huntress have helped them out, perhaps even when they're not a Huntress MSP, yeah. which is mind-blowing. And I speak to people outside of the, MS, the managed service industry, they can't get their head around why a company would 
you know, yeah. give their not intellectual property, but their experience away for free. But it leads to that that wonderful, you know, you've got a legion of raving fans over there. So so great to hear you looking to change the industry in the way that cybersecurity's dealt with mental health and burnout and things, because we, we need more of this and we need less of you said, you know, if, if if you love what you do, people say, Oh, you'll never work a day in your life. It's the opposite. Yep. If you love what you do, you'll work harder than ever yeah. every day of your life. So sometimes we need a hand in keeping ourselves under control and not just yep. getting carried away with things. Yeah. Let's dig a little bit deeper then. Um, if an MSP partners up with Huntress, what, they, what can they expect to see from you and the team on a day-to-day basis? So it's funny because we often, people say to us, we haven't heard anything from Huntress for a week. You know, mm. what, what, what's going on? And we, we have this discussion all the time internally. Should we make visible every single investigation we ever do that doesn't lead to a malicious true positive? So that means I press send on a report when something's bad. Because often we'll see something and go, this is fine. We can close it. So the day-to-day, if everything goes well, you shouldn't hear from us. And Huntress is supposed to be a low-noise um, emitter of, of a security notification. So the idea is when you do hear from us, you go, oh, shit. <laughs> and now the thing is, I've worked, and this is the way I think we curate detections. I've worked for security companies that say, let's just pick everything up. Let's just pick everything up and let's yeah. just send it, let's just forward it. Okay, but that's not actually useful for anybody. What's useful and what we've tried to do is we've tried to curate the best of the best detections, give them the appropriate priority and severity rating so that when an analyst gets it, it's already been filtered for them by our detections and our automations, and then they are filtering it for the recipient. What that leads to is a low noise product, sure, but from our day-to-day users, they go, I don't know what's going on because you haven't reached out to us. When they do get a report, and that's, tell me if I'm going off on a digression here, but when they do get a report, I actually love when customers come back to us Mm. and they say, hey, I understood this section where you advise that I uh, temporarily disable this account, but I don't understand why do I have to look for this IP? I love that. They write a support ticket in. It's the analyst that reply back. So through the support team, we reply back and I'll say, hey, you need to find that IP through your DHCP logs, your VPN, your firewall. I don't mind what you use because that was the adversary's machine. Mm. And so that was just an example, just say the day-to-day can be quiet until everything hits the fan and then suddenly it's skyrocketing, but we try to be there as much as we can. You mentioned how much we do for free. Um, I was surprised when I joined Huntress that I could get away with doing so many things and giving away so much for free. A lot of us came from incident response, so when things hit the fan and it isn't an everyday event, it's an extraordinary event, we can actually help our partners in ways that, again, it's not saying that competitors don't, but we've just got such a crucible of knowledge, it's silly not to pour out and give that to our community when things hit the fan. Yeah, I, I, we'll talk about it a little bit later perhaps, but you've got things like the product labs. I was sat on one with uh, Kyle yep. and I think it was John and the team. Mind-blowing, you know, this is where you just jump on a community call and share how some of the exploits are actually put together, as well as talking a bit about the product and things, but you've got a real good foothold in the community and giving, and I think it warms my heart actually that I see, you know, uh, Huntress are leading the way, but the whole cybersecurity industry is getting much more open and think realizing, hey, if we share this, we're gonna depower the bad guys yep. and sort of help uh, people as a whole. Something you said as well, I've got to, got to pick up on this. You said, you know, Huntress MSPs get in touch and go, you know, we've not heard from you. Yeah. 
the, when I ran my MSP business, the, the, the most awful question that we would get from our clients would be, hey, what is it we're paying you for? Yeah, what have you done for me because recently? Yeah, people yeah, yeah. forget the pain so quickly, don't yeah. they, Dre? They're like, oh yeah, it was all horrible before, but you've come in now and everything's quiet. And then after a while, what is it we're paying you for? Yeah. So if that's the biggest challenge that you've got, that's a nice challenge to overcome because you're clearly demonstrating value that the fact that you know, the MSPs are not getting loads of uh, negative feedback and things. Yeah, so. I mean, hey, if they get hit and then we didn't say anything, they've got a right to say what's going <laughs> yes. on. But what I often point people to as well is saying, hey, just because you're not getting security detections, you pointed to our product labs. We've got a whole bunch of free resources that they can go and engage with in the meantime. So something I flippantly have said to a couple partners, I said, well, I've got a Windows hardening guide right there that you can go and use. So if you've got some free time, oh yeah, because I've not sent you any security reports, why don't, why don't you go and do that? And then suddenly, Richard, they, they don't need, they're like, actually, <laughs> You know, I'm actually busy, got something here with my Cisco router. Um, but no, I, I appreciate it though, because I've worked for, I've worked for different companies. It's, there are some people, and we were talking about this earlier, there are some companies, and maybe they don't, they're the minority, who aren't out looking for their clients' interests. Clients get burned. And when they get burned, they ask you hard questions. Yeah. There was one, so I worked for an MSSP, and they said, hey, uh, the client said, we need to be able to break this contract at any time. And I, I, I wasn't a salesperson, but I was just on the call. And I was like, I'd love to just give me, give me a why. And they said, well, we had a previous provider and they went radio silent on us after like a couple months, but we still had to pay them. And it was that, you know, it wasn't that yeah. they didn't trust us. It was that someone had burned them. And again, those companies are in the minority and they're in the past, but I totally respect when somebody wants to have more visibility. Yeah. And Huntress is the best place for it. I'll tell people stuff I definitely shouldn't. But if you DM me, I'll tell it. That's the, all your listeners can DM me and be like, tell me something I shouldn't know about Huntress. I'll do it. <laughs> Within reason. <laughs> well, we're going to get your contact details and, and share them with the audience later on. So you may regret saying that, but knowing you, I don't think uh, uh, you will. Okay, let, let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's get into the weeds a little bit here. So when it comes to cybersecurity, I can think of three main points that MSPs need to secure for their clients. So we're talking endpoints, uh, email, employees. Would, yeah. would, would you broadly agree with that perhaps? A hundred percent. So so let's dig in then. How does Huntress help with each of those areas? Yep. So I mean, we can start really with what our attackers doing because that's how Huntress was built to begin with. We didn't just decide to build a product. It was well, what our attackers doing. And so Huntress started with persistence because adversaries like to get there uh, enter into an environment and then create a backdoor so they can get in and out. Yeah. So Huntress started with that. And then we've evolved um, and created EDR and all those things. But when I think about Huntress and when I think about how we fit in with those three sort of criteria, it really truly is about well, how are adversaries getting in? Well, they're getting in by tricking users or developing exploits. Right, well, I can't train a user to stop a zero day, but I can train them to have better security awareness. And so one of the ways that you help with the employee section of that is with, yeah, SAP, with cyber awareness training. Huntress realized that no matter how many products we innovate on and how much tech we build, you're never going to fix that. No. I really hate the phrase, Richard, um, the human is the weakest link, because there's no point building anything unless it's for humans. Yes. So describing it as saying, we built this thing, but actually you're the problem. And I'll be frank, if one user clicking something is what leads to the ruin of your environment, your environment sucks, dude. If one user clicking something is what leads to ransomware, yeah. that's not on that user. So see, our security awareness training, um, it was purchased by um, through a company curricula. We purchased curricula because we loved what they were doing. I sit on my partner's security awareness training. It's awful. It takes like 45 minutes. She learns nothing. It's it's just boring. It's a, it's a box ticking exercise. I like our security awareness training and we liked curricula when we saw it because it uses um, different cartoons, different mascots, really short informational interactive teachings that 
all really geared towards the personal, not the corporate. And here's the really interesting thing. You are going to get through to people by telling them about corporate policy. No. But if you say, hey, here's how you can just protect this stuff at home. Here's how you can make sure MFAs on your Amazon account so I don't know, your kids can't sign in and buy something. Like That's how you're going to get through to people because it bleeds in. But of course, I understand that sometimes it's going to be a zero day. It's going to be something that could not be mitigated by a human. That's when we created our EDR and we created the MDR for Microsoft 365 to stop business email compromise. The idea behind both of those was it's not just enough to look at security awareness training and then persistence. Why don't we track the tradecraft of the adversary through our EDR? If they've managed to compromise an uh, email account, why don't we track exactly what they got up to while they were doing it? Different security companies descri- uh, ascribe to different philosophies of should it be network telemetry process. We've kind of gone down the process um, route, but we're open to more. So network traffic is, is something, I, I have a network background. I'm hugely excited for that. That's where I want to go next because that's how, when you start getting layered security telemetry, when you can start offering even more detections, even better insight, that's when you start getting in this defense in depth kind of conversation. That it's You haven't just got one brittle detector. You've actually got some layered ones that help make sure if a bad guy gets in at this stage, you can catch him later. But you're right, those sort of that triad of, of if you're thinking to yourself, what do I need to protect? I would honestly start with your users. Mm. Your users, your users, your users. If you can sign them up for security training tonight, it doesn't have to be with Huntress be with anybody but that is the most important thing and don't admonish them if they make a mistake if they click something they shouldn't the absolute worst thing you can do is make them feel like they can't turn to it because you know what happens they stop coming to you to stop hiding it yeah. yeah and then you get shadow it yeah and you start wondering when did that printer get plugged in whose laptop is that now i'm digressing i do apologize i'm Not just very all. passionate yeah. <laughs> so let me for my own clarity here and for, for the listeners so the security um what do you call the security awareness training. awareness training yeah. so sat is that included in the huntress package that it's at no additional cost sort of yeah thing? so huntress doesn't really sell so we've got we do have different product lines we don't really um want folks to buy individual SKUs, right that's yeah. not what we want Understandably, things happen. You maybe got a tech, a legacy tech stack or a tech de- uh, stack debt that you've got to work through. The idea behind that triad is, as, as we're kind of trying to allude to here, that's going to keep you super safe. Mm-hmm. If you can get this sort of holy trinity of of security, um, and we see that we have conversations all the time with folks who are like, "Hey, I I don't want the business email compromise because you know I've only got." X amount of users. Mm. And it's hard to have that conversation with folks because they don't know what, you know, you don't know what you're missing and and then something happens and you're like, I wish you would have installed me um, because then we could have helped. But I totally get that folks want to buy individual stuff. I would say we offer so many things through trial. And you can always extend your trial. I don't know how many days it is now. I think we reduced it to 14. But if the Huntress product, if you like us because you know our, our energy and our vibe is good, but you're doing the product and you're like, guys, I'm just not seeing it reach out, have a conversation. There are lots of places that will let you trial, but they delineate. So the trial will come up on the uh, security analysts in some competitors and it will say, hey, there's a trial, give it special attention. Right. We don't delineate. Uh, We don't delineate for a whole host of reasons, but I never want folks to feel like they get the A team for their trial and then they have a B team once they've signed the contract. Oh man, you've just hit upon something that's such a big challenge in our industry. And I'm glad you've been really open about it you know, calling attention to because I speak to so many MSPs and this is no knock on any individual vendor, but I think everybody listening to this has had the experience where they've got all of the love in the world of a salesperson, yep. at a vendor, and then as soon as the contract is signed, they're like, 
Yeah, where stony, are they? Stony silence. Yeah. And it's like, well, you've done your job, moved on to the next one. So thank you for sharing the background on that, because that's really, <laughs> and I know you didn't mean to denig not to denigrate anyone, but that's a differentiator, I would have said. So interesting yeah, and to no, see. Yeah, and it's no disrespect to our competitors. Some of them are doing wonderful things in the space. And I think what Huntress does is, is, is the care, but also we're making sure price makes sense for all of that care. So when we offer three products, we're not trying to stack money on money on money to take it home. Actually, yeah. we're trying to keep as much of it as low cost to get it out there. I mean, our MDR for Microsoft 365 is so new. From a selfish point of view, I want more telemetry so we can get better. Mm. I'm not a money person, so I'm like, give it away for free. I don't care. I just want more data. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Dre, do you prefer, and your colleagues, do you prefer the term SOC, Security Operations Center, or I've heard some refer to it as a managed security platform? What's it? Do you know, it's so, right, we've had a big internal um, conversation, and I'm, I'm going to call it a renaissance, actually, because we had to rediscover what a SOC was. Because prior to that, we, we, we our department is threat operations, right? Because it's a security threat and we're operating with it. And we had to kind of rediscover, because we kept getting people saying, so you're a SOC. And we'd be like, well, yeah, but you know, we're threat operations. Yeah. And where I was in a SOC. The term SOC monkey, I don't know if your listeners will be familiar with that, but it's essentially someone that just gets a ticket in, presses it, they're there for 10 years. I've heard of a knock monkey, but a knock, not a well, monkey. Well, I, I guess monkey. it applies across the board, yeah. yeah. A ticket monkey. A ticket monkey. Yeah. And again, like I, I don't actually hold that view. I think you can be a professional SOC analyst all your life. But there is a sort of stigma that goes along with that. And people have come up with all kinds of clever terms. XDR, MDR, they, they do a lot of that. I think what it came down to for us was realizing we don't have to go by the industry definitions. And as long as we're authentically doing something, that's why I said to you, we're a SOC plus. And that was what our problem mm. was. It wasn't that we said, oh, we're not doing enough to be a SOC. It was like, we do so much more than a SOC. And so then fitting that in with conversation of managed um, security platform, I see the SOC as a important component, maybe the most component, important component of the security platform. But actually we offer a whole host of other things that are actually go on without me, which is shocking to me, I know. I don't really <laughs> like things to happen unless I've seen them. Um, but one example I just want to point to is, so uh, a lot of our blogs are written and then edited by the experts. Yes. And so our Mac OS stuff is done by Stuart Ashburner, who's huge in the Mac OS world. But like, that's part of our security platform. Mm. Those blogs, I know it's sometimes silly to think of it that way, but it, it really truly is. Because often he's saying, hey, I'm actually just giving you the research yeah. that went back into the product. So the thing that you're getting anyway. On top of that, so we we try to offer as much as we can through those community things. And I see those as part of the security platform, but there are also things that are very techy. So, oh goodness, someone just slammed a door. That's how excited they were about Was that a canal boat outside that's just crashed into the building? I'm it could sure. have been a cyclist yeah, yeah, without so a helmet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so part of our security platform would be things that are kind of almost hands-off for an analyst, but huge for our partners. So things to do with assisted remediations. And that's yeah. what I, I'm coming back to SOC Plus. I can advise after a particular intrusion that a, a reader delete certain files. And maybe I can even write the PowerShell for them that helps them copy paste it. But actually, nobody wants to do that. What you want to do is put that in a little text box that the reader can then press. I accept that that's going to be deleted and you do it for them. That to me is all part of this security platform. And that's the managed part is so important. I know there's MDR and MEDR and XDR. I don't, I don't really care about any of that. What I care about as a techie person is, are we giving something authentic? Mm -hmm. Will somebody be disappointed with what they get at the end? Managed uh, security platform, SOC, as long as folks feel like what they've paid for is what they get, 
I'm not too fussed. I know that we have, my colleagues in marketing may hear this and go, oh my God, why did you say this? But that's the benefit of being someone that isn't beholden to marketing terms. Exactly. And then Tracy's going to come after you maybe with a, a baseball bat or something but, from you, Tracy from uh, Huntress uh, I Sales think, there. I think, and I, again, it's a digression, <laughs> but something I find refreshing is, unfortunately, I'm a bit of a loud mouth. And I've, what I find refreshing at Huntress <laughs> is positive intent is always recognized. Yes. I've worked in places where they actually restrain creativity and, and, and tech folks were weird. We do weird stuff, but we mean well. And Huntress is one of the few places I've found that actually embraces that weirdness. And if, for argument's sake, someone's not comfortable with telling their boss we're a managed security platform, we're not going to say, hey, 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 you need to call us that. We're going to go, man, it's whatever works for you. Yeah, And that's, that, that is in our culture. I love that. Within our team, uh, Team Tub, we've, we've, uh, we've got a policy of, or a, a culture of, always assume positive intent. I love that. So it's yeah. very, very similar from that perspective. It's like, and you know, if you make a mistake, don't worry about it. It's yeah. like, we'll, we'll tell you how you can do it better next time, but yeah. you know, don't worry about it. So. And that, that's a leadership. I mean, it needs to come from the top, yeah. right? I mean, especially with remote work. I don't know if you found this, but Slack... Uh, if you, the way some people write, you can be like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize they were upset with me. But what you just said there, assume a positive intent. Yeah. It's huge for a remote culture in tech. Yeah. Can't, you know, other places, yeah, they, they can talk more often, but what we do is sometimes so heads down. Yeah. And you have to assume that person is trying to do their best and is actually probably wanting the best for you and with you. They're not yes. working against you. Something you said as well, I just want to pick up on it. You talked about giving away the information via blogs and mm -hmm. things. I followed that exact model when I ran my managed service provider business and my competitors at the time, we're going back a little bit now, I was one of the first bloggers in the industry and my competitors thought I was absolutely cray cray because they're like, why are you giving away the secret sauce? Yeah. I said, no, it just makes the industry as a whole better and that. So again, I just want to give a shout out for that. And for anybody listening, go and check out the Huntress blog to see what Dre uh, and is talking about here. They give away a lot of great information. So SOC, managed, service, uh, managed security platform, doesn't matter. I'm a big advocate, an outspoken advocate for outsourcing in the MSP industry. We speak to our clients as MSPs and we say, hey, you focus on your business yep. and give us the responsibility yep. for the IT. I think lots of MSPs listening, perhaps familiar with outsourcing their NOC, Network Operation Center, you know, the patching, the remote monitoring, that type of thing. They might even be familiar with partnering up with somebody uh, for their help desk. You know, it's a scary proposition, but, but I think fewer MSPs are actually familiar with, oh, we don't have to do all the cybersecurity ourselves. We can partner with somebody who lives and breathes yep. this. And Dre, I've got to say, it's got to be clear to anybody listening to this, you live and breathe this stuff. You I actually, do. yeah, you I do. do. So I'm really intrigued. What type of MSPs are you finding who are partnering with you for their SOC, managed security platform? Why are they taking this step? So I want to pick up on that word partnership. That is who we're getting. We're getting folks who want to enter a partnership. So the way that I, it was described to me when Huntress was kind of being sold to me in the interview stage, and I thought, oh, whatever. And then it actually ended up being true. We really are just a puzzle piece that's being added on. Yeah. Rather than folks being like, I don't want to think about this. Go and take it away. Here you go, outsourced. It's much that tech folks know what they don't know. We're one of the few people who kind of have the curse of knowledge that we're like, oh, my God, I know so much, but I know so little at the same time. So we often partner with people who are so incredible, like Tom Lawrence, like he's just ridiculously oh, intelligent, right? Awesome guy, awesome he's, guy. And he knows, he knows more than me. But Tom is like, I've got other things to do and I know stuff, but I may not know it as quick as those guys over there who spend all their time doing security stuff. So 
he's one of the kind of people who, and I mean, Tom is, is the, the person, but he's the kind of person that we end up getting at Huntress, folks who know a lot, but want to focus on their stuff. And actually what I enjoy about those people is they can hold a conversation with us because they're not just trying to get it off their plate. Tom is, and I don't want to just gush about Tom, but Tom has reached out on so many things where he's been like, I want to know more. And you're like, hey, was it a bad report? He's like, no, 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 I want to know for me. That's huge. That is huge. And it makes me hugely proud of what we are doing at Huntress, that those are the kind of partners we get. I've worked for companies where all they want it's for security to be somebody else's headache. They abdicate responsibility for it. Yeah, and the problem is when it's your network, you don't get that luxury. Yeah. And to anybody who's sitting there thinking, yeah, but I'd rather I'd rather outsource it and get it out. That's fine. Outsourcing it isn't the issue. The issue is what responsibility do you want to take and what responsibility would you like them to take? Like really have that conversation. Another conversation I encourage people to have is ask them where they have analysts. Now, you don't have to be conscientious of their employment practices, but hey, do you want people who are employed all around the world to make sure that someone signing in at 9 a.m. in Perth is fresh, to make sure that if your company's based in the UK, that you know they're good to go overnight? Or do you want somebody who's got personnel who are going to stay up till 2, 3 in the morning? Yeah, fueled by Red Bull and... Yes, yeah. well. and it's like a meme at this point, right? That yeah. like... You don't, like, you don't have to partner with those kind of folks. Socks used to do that. They used to do that. And they used to go to, they used to pre- uh, present a facade that everything was based in sort of the UK and the US. And actually they outsourced it and they exploited workers in other, in other countries in South, Southeast Asia and South Asia. And I want to I wanna be really clear here. Some companies do that because they're doing it for exploitation. And other companies do it because there is incredible talent in India, in Bangladesh, in Pakistan, and the Philippines. Yeah. And what I really want to call out here, because I've had this, Richard, just because somebody has outsourced or has part of their security operations center in a country that you may have initially 10, 20 years ago had a bad reputation of, circle back. Ask them, hey, do you have any reputable security researchers? There are incredible security researchers in Indonesia, Philippines, Absolutely. India. And so when you're outsourcing, be smart. But be smart. Actually look at who they've got. That's so important to me. Yeah. I know that was a digression again. I do apologize. At all. Don't, no, no need for apologies. And again, I'll pick up on a point. Um, it's, it's, it's not the same, but it's similar. We were at the Vanguard. My MSP was at the Vanguard of outsourcing to the NOC. You know, it was fairly unheard of. It blows my mind, just as a side point, uh, Dre, that we speak to clients as MSPs about outsourcing, which is essentially what it is, whether you want to call it. And I know that that name has negative connotations. Partnership or something might be a better term. But we essentially talk to clients about outsourcing. Yet, as an industry, we seem really freaked out about partnering up with other technology companies you know, to do the same thing. But back to my point, so when we outsourced our knock, um, we used to work with a company, uh, it was way back in the day, called Zenith uh, Infosec sorry, Zenith Infotech, Mm -hmm. and they had engineers and that in India, other parts of that world, and people used to frown a little bit like, oh, you know, it's just, and so to your point, we used to say, we are a Microsoft Gold partner. We go to Zenith to their second and third line engineers before we will raise a ticket with Microsoft because we get better support directly from there. And I know my great friend and MSP legend, Carl Palachuk said exactly the same thing when he did it. So please, 
Yeah, let's just shout out to this point that Dre's made here. Where people are in the world is no indication of the levels of competence, yes. education, and brilliance that they've got. And so I think you make a fantastic point there. So, uh, But the point is, we can't, as an industry, continue to just burn through people, burn them out. That's got to change for, for so many different reasons. I mean, even if folks kind of hear this and they think, I don't care about burnout, I want to keep security internal, the cost... The cost. Well, let me let me jump to that point. So there's going to be people listening to this and say, in, in exactly the same way, they want to. They've got their own knock team or they've got their own help desk team. Totally get it. That's traditional managed services. For me, if I was running an MSP again today, and I'm not because it's incredibly <laughs> hard work. With all respect to our listeners. There's no way I would try to build the cybersecurity functions internally. Of yeah. course, every IT professional, everybody who works on your help desk in your knock has got to have really strong cybersecurity skills. But to be able to respond and to keep up to date with what is going on, you know, we're not even talking zero day anymore, are we? We're talking super, super, you know, fast exploits and things. What would you say to people who are thinking, I can build this myself? And I don't want you to scare people or anything. I want yeah. you to be realistic about it. So what, what I'll do firstly, for the folks who want to know how to build it themselves, I'll tell you right now. So there is an article I wrote called Defense Evasion Part 3. And it looked at malware that tries or attackers that try to evade defenses, what we see at Huntress, and then the third article. And what I was quite disappointed about, I'm just bringing up personal stuff at this point. The top two, those, two, those first two articles, all about attackers did well. That third article literally spoon-fed to people, here's how you can build a security architecture so you don't even need Huntress. So I've told, the, I've told the listeners, I'll tell them now. So what you want is Sysmon with a good config. You want to use Windows Event Forwarding and Windows Event Collector. That will kind of take all those Sysmon logs across all your Windows machines, centralize them. From that, you can use any of the different, you can use Splunk, Elasticsearch, uh, OpenSearch is, is the free one now. And then you come up with really curated Elasticsearches slash detections or whatever you're using there. And then you pay somebody who's quite knowledgeable to respond to those. Now that sounds easy. <laughs> It doesn't sound easy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds you know relatively. Yeah, it sounds easy because yeah. we won't be doing it. Um, but if you if you want to build your own security sort of I suppose engine, and you you don't want to pay, that's what you go and do. Go and do that. That will that will that will get you somewhere. Um, <laughs> what I would advise is because I understand it. I I am a control freak. I everything I do, and I need to do it. It needs to be done by me. Relinquishing control is hard, and when cybersecurity is so inflammatory, you're worried. You're going to do. You know, your client has smiled and shook your hand not Huntresses. And I get that. Mm. I'm not saying specifically about outsourcing to Huntress or not, but what I would say is if you trust your security partner and that's good enough for you, that's also for your partner and we take that seriously. It's not, the juice isn't worth the squeeze, man. Yeah. The juice isn't worth the squeeze. When it comes to internalizing your own security, the salaries are ridiculous. And that's because it's a huge decompetitive environment. Right? Trying to get good security personnel, and trust me, I look all the time because I'm hiring, um, is hard. They come at a premium. They are often in need of more than just what one shop can offer. And that is no disrespect to any MSP, but I've been there. Mm. You outgrow that quick. One of the other things, and I don't think we talk about this enough as an industry, you smart people don't want to be the smartest person in a room. Definitely not. And so outgrowing your sock doesn't just mean like, hey, I'm bored of seeing the same thing. It also means I'm tired of having the same conversations. I will flip this though. So I think there's some benefits to having security internal. And one of the main ones that I get frustrated with is you can actualize change at an incredible speed. 
So I'll give you an example. We saw an uptick in OneNote, so Microsoft OneNote uh, malware. So Harlan Carvey, who's hugely important to me at Huntress, and I, well, it was really Harlan, came up with a way to neutralize that malware. And we created a blog. But we can't force those configuration changes on our partners, right? So it's a couple of registry keys that could neutralize this malware. If I was internal, I could do that overnight. Mm. If I had the right setup at a particular company or an MSP, I can push that overnight. It's fine. Working at Huntress means I almost have the curse of this knowledge, all this telemetry. I know all the bad stuff. And I can write a blog. I can talk about it in podcasts. I can write all these things, but I can't make people do it. Sure. And so, yeah, there is a benefit to security being internal. I think there's a happy middle. And the happy middle that I see, and I see it with folks like Tom Lawrence, is outsource your SOC and have one or two internal people who maybe they're the network engineer, maybe they're the IT guy. And it's actually Chris Henderson at Huntress. He runs our information security department, so we're compliant. He said something so important. He was like, you know, when you need to build something, get IT guys who want to trans transition into security. He's like, because they are so hungry. If you want to keep a happy middle between outsourcing your SOC but making sure you're no fool, get those guys. We've got one of those guys, he's incredible. He probably knows more than me. He's our, he's our sysadmin. He's so hungry. He knows about zero days. Probably a good like five minutes before I do because he's that <laughs> hungry. That's what I would do. I would outsource, but don't be a fool. Keep someone in the middle because, hey, you're too busy. You're running an MSP. I understand you want to keep hands on keyboard. Don't make security the thing you keep hands on keyboard for, please. Yeah. It's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Something you said there as well about... and. and Actually, let me rewind a little bit. We've already mentioned a number of uh, resources such product labs and so on and so forth. If you're listening to this, dear listener, while you're out walking the dog or going for a hike or driving in the car, please don't worry about scribbling down these, you know, the notes and stuff. We'll include everything that Dre mentions in the podcast show notes there. One of the things we will put a link to is what you've just said. You wrote a blog post about, hey, this is how you do it yourself. Yeah. Um, and people often, when I was an MSP, people used to look at me like I was crazy because I would write blog posts saying, here's a problem that one of our clients had, here's how we fixed it. And they'd say, well, aren't you talking your clients, or sorry, potential new clients out of working with you? And my experience was always the same as yours, Dre, where people looked at it and go, well, it's really good that that knowledge is all there, but we don't want to, we mm. can't be bothered doing it ourselves. And I'm being a little bit facetious, but for anybody listening to this who's worried about giving away too much information, go and look at the Huntress blog. Go and look at companies similar to Huntress who give this information away because actually giving it away doesn't mean that people aren't still going to pay you for your expertise. So, yep. you know, I just wanted to, to throw that out there. But who is behind the Huntress Sox? So you've talked about the people, but what type of qualifications do you and your colleagues have? Where are they located? Tell us a bit sure. more. Sure. So we've got personnel, sort of, again, 24-7, so we have to have people all over the world. So we have them in Australia, specifically uh, East Coast Australia, so Sydney, uh, sort of Central Australia, Darwin, and then Perth. Perth is a huge community for cybersecurity, mm. by the way. This was news to me. I only knew Perth as like a mining, like a mining town, and they've got the... Um, the ballet school there, or the yeah. West Australian Performing Arts School. Apparently, cybersecurity is popping in Perth. Uh, then we have folks in the UK. So, uh, well, they're everywhere. So we have folk in Wales, uh, London, Norfolk. Uh, where else have we got? Oh, me. I'm in Reading or Berkshire. Uh, you Listeners, you can come and find me. You probably don't want to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have uh, loads of folks in the US across sort of all the coasts and, and central Canada. Um but what I want to sort of uh, put out there is where folks will, will work will also affect 
your relationship with with your with with the type of telemetry you see with the clients that you see. So we always make sure that wherever Huntress is, we've always got a representative. So someone for sales, someone for marketing, someone that makes sure a partner doesn't put a ticket in at their nine in the morning and not hear back at their 5 p.m. We don't want that. I've been there. It's not a nice experience to feel mm. like you're chopped liver compared to another region. Um, so Huntress is, and they actually do care. They really make sure that the experience a regional sort of community member gets doesn't feel regional. Yeah. And I, I, so I'm with the UK sort of uh, the UK team. And yeah, we bleed over into other regions, but any UK partner kind of probably can reach out to me on LinkedIn, DM me on Twitter, and I'll get back to them and get them their answer. They don't have to wait. Mm -hmm. And our support team, we've got support team in the UK. They're fantastic. We just hired two new people in the UK because we're seeing just an increase in people who, who are community members. And we love to do that. I don't want people to feel like they're getting second best. Excellent, excellent. Question that springs to mind, I get lots of MS MSPs getting in touch with me saying, hey, we need to do some penetration testing for a client. Mm. I know it's only a small part of the jigsaw, but does Huntress offer pen testing as part of your service? So Huntress doesn't. And this is so when my boss, Max Rogers, who's um, former FireEye, just really just clever guy. When he first got me into Huntress and he, he sold me this trajectory. Now he was maybe, you know, a little bit um, elastic with the dates that this trajectory was gonna happen. But the ambition will always be for Huntress to be a one-stop shop mm -hmm. that folks can come to and get pen testing, instant response, which is really important to me. Uh, they, can, they can get as much as they can. So we don't offer pen testing yet, but what I will say, and I think this is exemplified through the personnel we hire, uh, but also through the blogs we put out, we have an incredible understanding of offensive security. Right. So I myself hold a handful of offensive security qualifications. And you asked earlier about qualifications. I just want to clarify something. Qualifications don't mean anything. Degrees don't mean anything. One of the brightest people on our team doesn't have a degree. The reason he doesn't have his degree is because he doesn't have any GCSEs. The reason he doesn't have any GCSEs is because he was dyslexic. But they didn't find out he was dyslexic and he was let down. Wow. And when he interviewed, he's wonderful, really personable, a brilliant at what he does. But if we held him to the standard of you need a degree, any qualifications, we'd have lost him. He is such a catch. And so what I want to make clear is our understanding of offensive security can be exemplified through, yeah, John Hammond, who's got every offset qualification. Yeah, I've got this and that. We've got people who have such an intimate understanding of computers and how to break them and how to fix them. We don't offer pen testing yet, but the day that we do, we'll probably offer the best pen testing service in the world because most pen testing can get quite dull. I did pen testing for like two months and then I got bored because a lot of it is web app pen testing, uh, mobile pen testing is, is getting, is, uh, mobile app pen testing is getting more and more. It's very rarely infrastructure and uh, active directory pen testing, which is what most people want. And often there are some quite dubious companies, and they're the minority, who are really just running Nessus and Nmap and outputting that into a report. And again, Huntress doesn't offer um, pen testing, but the day that we do, you can be sure we're not just going to be running <laughs> Nessus and printing that into a PDF. We're going to try and offer something world-class, and that holds us back sometimes. Yeah. Some And I'll see, uh, Kyle and folks who don't know Kyle, uh, listen to a couple of videos of Kyle, because Kyle is hilarious. He'll say, hey, I don't mind if a product's embarrassing when we first launch it because we need to stop waiting until something's perfect. Yeah, That's how I feel about sometimes when we're trying to reach the next place. And this isn't specific to pen testing, but my boss says this a lot now. He's like, we should be embarrassed by our first iteration, but we should get it out there. So our, our customers and our community can beat us up and say, hey, I want this. Where's my thing? Give it to me. 
Yeah, and Kyle Hansloven will give a shout out there. So he's the the founder of the uh, yep. the company or co-founder, I should say, in there. And um, yeah, we'll include on the show notes a link to some of his videos as well because uh, there's some value to be found there <laughs> for certain. So um, you've been really open and honest about what Huntress does, what you stand for, but what you don't do as well, which I really like. So let me ask you this: cyber criminal, cyber criminal. Cyber criminals have become very, very determined. So I talk to MSPs, and it's no longer a case of if you're going to be breached, it's when. In fact, you were sat in a board meeting with me a little bit earlier, and I promised to sit quietly at the side, and I just couldn't. I had to speak out. <laughs> a room full of MSPs, and I was just like, look, you are going to get caught at some point. It's not yeah. a case. Even with Huntress or somebody else best in breed on, on the side. So if one of your MSP partners does get breached, despite everyone's best efforts across the board, what does your response look like? For sure. So I want to pick up on that for, just to really articulate this to folks, because I think sometimes people hear uh, it's not it's not if it's when you get an intrusion, and I think sometimes FUD, so fear, uncertainty, and I forgot the last one. Is it doubt? Denial? Doubt. doubt, doubt. Yeah. There we go. Uh, so some that it no longer happens, um, but some tech sales folk used to sell through that technique of mm. making you feel scared. And I think security vendors, when they began, didn't know maybe how to articulate it the best way. And this idea of when, not if, shouldn't be interpreted under that same lens. We don't want, I don't want anybody to feel like they need to buy Huntress tonight or they're going to have an intrusion. It's right. not, you know, it's not a threat. It's not a promise. <laughs> I want folks to do this because the inevitability is attackers are persistent. And I think there's a bit of a myth that if you purchase an expensive enough security solution, an attacker will just see that and go, oh, I'm not going to bother. Mm. They won't bother on a Monday because they're going to come back Friday night when everybody's popped to the pub. That's why breaches are inevitable. They only have to get lucky once. You have to get lucky every time. And there's Andrew Thompson on Twitter. I believe he works for Mandiant slash Google now. He's, he's, he, his mantra is imposed cost. And Huntress shares that mantra. I don't know who got it first, but I see it a lot of Andrew Thompson. What that means is we don't want attackers to get it easy. They're going to have to work for it. And so when a partner has an intrusion report from us, if it's not you know, the worst day in the world by getting ransomware, we've often caught adversaries in the beginning or middle of their tradecraft. I'll give you an example. So in the talk I had earlier, I shared that we had a Russian IP who maliciously brute forced and authenticated onto a remote desktop gateway server. The, spe the technical specifics, I don't really matter. All that matters is within, if we detected that, I think it was 12.43. By 12.50, so within seven minutes, we isolated the machine and sent the report. Now, this isn't to flex on how good we are, because of course we are good. The point of that is to say, a report from us, an intrusion, doesn't have to be game over. The way that you stop game over is by having layered defenses. Now, what happens to partners who don't have layered defenses, who don't impose cost? On the worst day of their lives, which is ransomware, and why, this, why is this the worst day of your life? Because this may lead to a business shutting event. It gets round amongst your clients. It yeah. ruins a reputation. And sometimes through no fault of your own, it can be the worst day of your life. Huntress doesn't tend to work with partners who kind of didn't ever help their own network and so that's that situation. Sometimes things happen. But more often than not, when things happen through fault of a partner or not, Huntress generally will be there to hold your hand. So we don't offer incident response. We don't offer recovery. But we employ a bunch of folks who used to do that, myself included. We are hungry to help. What often happens is when we've sent a report telling somebody, hey, it's the worst day that, of your business so far, it's ransomware. We don't just send that report and say, hey, good, have a great day. We'll send a critical notification. So we just, uh, we just refine this technology for that to lead to a text or automated phone call. 
Um, and I can't promise this because I know that there will be people above me that are like, don't promise a phone call. I'm not <laughs> promising a phone call. But what I am saying is on the worst day of your business, Huntress isn't just going to send that report and leave you alone. We often will give you a call, send you an email, really persist and chase you up. We'll send you resources and documents. We'll send you to advised uh, recovery and incident response partners. We don't get a kickback. There's no financial. We just trust them. On the worst day of your businesses, and you know, we've spoken to MSPs who have been very open about that was the worst day of their life. Yeah. The Kaseya incident being just one. You know, there's um, a wonderful gentleman in Huntress's Summer Summit who shared that it was a really dark time for him. That resonates with us all. We're not looking to leave anybody in the lurch, but we also can't overstep. And I want to communicate to, to listeners, when you partner up with somebody that does security, really understand what, what are you getting? You don't want the worst day to come about for you to finally turn to the product page and realize what you were and weren't paying for. Right. Something that really bugs me, and I'll be transparent, it's why I left incident response partially. There used to be tiered lists. And if you purchased the bronze tier as a customer, you got a certain level of service and so on and so forth to gold. What used to really hurt me is we'd have customers who'd purchased the bronze tier and I could fix it. I could sort that problem out. But the people above me said, nope, they only purchased that tier. Huntress doesn't do that. There are plenty of our competitors. They don't do that as well. Mm. Some that do, but it's, it's, we don't want folks to get to that point where we can't help them. Our hands are tied because of money. Yeah. That's not what it should be about. We stay in our lane. Huntress is there to be a proactive solution. So try not to install us after the worst day, but we'll still help. We always get installed um, in environments that have been subject to big intrusions. And um, we'll always find one or two things and they go, how did you find that? And it's like, well, very, very good. Um, <laughs> but I want to just highlight that for most of the folk that we see, most of the reports that we sent, I actually pulled the numbers the other day, 60% are of a rating of low, high and critical severity. 60% are high. What that means is you're not, a report from us doesn't mean it's the worst day of your life. So I don't want anyone here to think, I've got Huntress, I'm going to, you know, shit breaks when I get a critical report now. <laughs> no, it's fine because it comes back to imposing cost. If you're doing all the right things, have you set up MFA? Have you made sure that the, I don't know, um, there aren't any really easy super users on your computer that mm. if somebody deploys credential dump in, they can get it. Are you making the most of what you pay for, by the way? So um, PIM and PAM, so that's basically just-in-time administration for Microsoft so that you don't need your super users. So I've, I've been guilty of this as an IT person. I'll just be domain admin all the time. It's just yeah. easier for me. We've got the technology now so that you can use just-in-time administration to say and your as your local prem, hey, escalate my privileges for this long and then bring it back down. Leverage those. Understand it. If you see a technology that you're not too sure how to use, what I encourage you to do, write a support ticket into Huntress. <laughs> just because we don't manage it, as long as it's like vendor neutral, doesn't mean we won't create a blog post about it. Perfect mm. example. We advise people when we send them uh, MDR for Microsoft 365, so business email, compromised reports. Hey, if you don't have complex conditional access policies for this user identity, just all your users, enable them. So we would send that in as part of our report. And, and um, some one or two community members got back and went, hey, do you guys have any recommendations for conditional access policies? And it hit us. We were like, why aren't we offering recommendations <laughs> of conditional access policies? That's just an example of we're now going to do that. So when community members are worried about what's going to happen on the worst day, what's going to happen when it's on the medium day, ask us. Uh, if you're not with Huntress, I would really encourage you, go and ask your vendors, like, hey, what can I expect from you? Do you have any case studies? Do you have anybody in the community I could talk to? Really investigate those. I cannot emphasize this enough. The other thing I'll say is, please don't keep your disaster recovery plan on a computer. 
Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty <Yeah>. off. <laughs> that's that's what I'd say as well. That's that's Huntress neutral. That's that's free information. There you go. Just print it. I've been to way too many. It says we have a plan. Where is it? It's on ah. that encrypted drive right over there. Yeah, it's not going to get very far. What is a persistent foothold? Can you explain to me and our listeners? Yeah. What so what I'll start with, and I, I think this ties in wonderfully, and I think is a testament to your storycraft, Richard. Um, attackers have to follow a certain flow. Right? And you can subscribe to different models. So one is, uh, I think it was Lockheed Martin did the cyber kill chain of the different phases of an attack that starts with the attacker, you know, poking holes at your external perimeter, moving all the way to whatever their objective is. MITRE attack is a similar taxonomy that's a bit more detailed. I, I don't really mind for the purposes of this conversation, What uh, there's also others, what uh, listeners want to think of. But what you have to recognize is part, uh, partners, <laughs> attackers have to follow this taxonomy, they have to follow these phases. Persistence is sort of in the middle. So the attacker has got in, so that's initial access, but they've not yet achieved their objective. That's impact if we're using MITRE attack language. Persistence is in the middle, where they've got in, but they want to get back in somehow. Maybe they are getting in and they're going to dwell for a little bit. Yeah. Maybe they're getting in and actually their intention is to never achieve anything in your environment because they're an initial access broker and they're going to sell this initial access to someone else. A lot of people don't realize this, but most ransomware groups aren't the people that get in your environment. It's someone else in the ecosystem, an initial access broker. When we see persistence, more often than not, it's actually through, two, there's two There's two veins I'll talk through. One is malware seeking persistence. That's quite mundane. And we, we you know, we blip that almost in a second. So that's CACBOT, that's Emotet using particular registry keys, uh, particular scheduled tasks. That's, you could do that in your sleep. Really interesting persistence. We saw it the other day. So we saw a threat actor rename SSH. They then renamed some SSH uh, config files. I actually think they must have recompiled it. Now I think about it because they changed the command line arguments and they used that as persistence. Mm. And I don't remember, I can't remember the IP address it ended up going back to, but that was super novel. So a persistence foothold uh, in, in Huntress, Huntress is one of those places that has three words for any one thing. It can also be called an auto run. Uh, it'll also just be called a foothold. It is just the adversary attempting to stay in the environment. Right. That was Huntress's original offering. That was the 2014, 2015. That was all Huntress offered at that point in time. And that was because Kyle, Chris, and John, the, the co-founders, realized the huge gap in the market. Because everybody's stopping these attackers getting in, or they're helping with recovery, but who's kicking them out when they try to dwell? And dwell time is, is getting shorter. It used to be huge. Adversaries mm. used to get in your environment and hang out for months before they did a thing. Yeah, and to that point, actually, if we can give some advice for MSPs listening, I've spoken to loads of MSPs recently where, you know, there's been a breach at one of their clients and they've they've dwelled there, as you said, they've just sat there for ages, sometimes to the point where the backup has become yep. compromised. Yep. And so then it's the horrific scenario. Not only have you been, been breached, the backup has also been infected and stuff and there's no way. Is there any way for MSPs to stop this, to stop the ability for uh, a cyber criminal to get on their network and dwell. Do you know, so so I worked in intrusion once where the I think the adversary intentionally did two things. Persisted to ruin the backups because there was evidence they had open documents pertaining to the backup SOP. Right. But the second thing they did, and I thought this was really interesting, they started to research, uh, well, I say research, they started to open documents on the gold image 
for folks that aren't too sure, gold images, uh, they might have another name, but essentially they're the blank template that you'll install an operating system with. It usually will come with the applications and necessary permissions and tools that a user would use in, in, in that business. Um, the answer to that is, is difficult because depending on how well and how long the adversary persisted, the backups may be kaput. You can't you can't use them. There are forensic companies that do specialize in sort of backup sanitation. I don't know any to recommend. I also would be quite dubious about that. That requires that particular vendor to be aware of all the persistence. It's, it's a messy game. What I would instead is assume breach and also plan for the worst because the best will work itself out. Have your gold images and have them ready to go. If you really are holding me to it and say, come on, I need you to have this. Okay, you can back up in a number of ways. So you've got the three, two, one solution, backup, cloud, off-prep, we could do all that. The other thing that I don't really see folks doing, and I never really understood why, backups can often be done through just literal full disk image. Let's just back it up, snapshots through virtualization. But I'm seeing more and more folks just back up the files. Hmm. I worked an intrusion once where actually by some miracle, a handful of accountants and uh, admins had taken home some files they should. It was a it was a high profile um, financial company, and what that meant is, although those files were encrypted, that were sitting on the main sort of uh, network, the folks who took those files home suddenly became heroes. Heroes, <laughs> and so I, the IT guys are like, "How do we do this?" I'm like, "Hey, you calling an amnesty? You just say, hey, you know, if you took something home, if you didn't, we actually really need it.'" What you do instead to make sure you don't have to rely on your users is just take your files, take the most pertinent files, and go and back those up somewhere. And what I've seen adversaries do is they'll go and look at things like, where are you backing up? They'll also look at your cyber insurer to go do those sorts of things. So really be clever about what you're backing up. Um, but go and put it somewhere that even you can't touch conveniently. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I could talk, I could talk about backups for ages. I'm very boring. <laughs> I wouldn't have said that. I would have said the opposite. So you've mentioned to me that defensive security is both your passion and your the source of all your stress, Dre. What is it about defensive security exactly that excites you and and also drives you bananas? So. I'll start with what excites me, and it's that this I, I, I get stagnant easily if I don't grow. And for me personally, cybersecurity is the most interesting thing we're doing as a civilization. Like, yes, there's all sorts of like, and I've said this now, I think of like medical investment stuff like that, but in terms of just like, it's just mind boggling that if you'd have said to somebody 40 years ago, hey, someone can pick up a phone in Russia and hack you, mm. or in Russian territory, I should say, and hack you. They'd have been like, what are you talking about? And yet here we are, where that is entirely possible. It's opened up a whole new dimension of, of, of aggression. And, and I don't want to use warfare because I think that's a bit overstated sometimes. But it's opened up a dimension of, of aggression that I don't think people were ready for and that we're still not really grasping. Cybersecurity is so important to me as well. And this is, I don't actually tell many people this, but I've started to because I, I think I've finally told myself this about Huntress. I've worked for lots of places and usually money solved everything. I've done incidents in all across the world where you go to some incredibly wealthy companies and they don't care how much it costs. They're just going to say, yeah, that's fine. Huntress is one of the few places that because of the way we're sold and the environments we end up in, we end up in mechanics. We end up in hairdressers. We end up in kids' hospitals. That really matters. Yeah. I, and you know, it, it comes back to a little bit of burnout. We, I've had arguments with my partner where she's like, hey, you need to sign off. And I'm like, to her, a kid's hospital has been hit. There's no way I'm signing off. So danger of burnout. But in terms of what Huntress is, is trying to do there, that's so important to me. That's also a huge amount of stress, Richard. Definitely. <laughs> because it's, it's, Definitely. it's, 
it's it never stops. There's always a new zero day. There's always something new to worry about. There's always going to be a new intrusion in a kid's hospital. And I found the antidote for my stresses is twofold. One is actually to stop doing as much on the command line and with computers. So a lot of my job at this point now is actually more data science and, and documentation as the manager, but I still stay technical. Um, but it's to abstract myself away. And the second thing, and it's connected, is to trust my team. Trust my team, trust the colleagues. Just because I'm staying up late, because I think I'm going to save the day and help, doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean I'm going to. And I have to trust that my colleagues sitting in the West Coast and uh, Australia, uh, the East Coast uh, as well, are going to take over and it's going to be just fine. But that's why it's a huge source of stress. The other source of stress to me is, is I hate snake oil. I'm hugely passionate about transparency. I'm always happy to say when we do and don't do something. I've worked intrusions and incidents, and I still see it now, where partners say, but I bought this thing with that vendor. Why aren't I protected? Or why did this all go wrong? It comes back to the tiered thing. And it's a huge source of stress for me, because how do I tell somebody on what could be the worst day? Actually, the thing you thought you bought, isn't it? It's hugely, yeah. But I I've, I think I've got on top of it by being a bit more honest with myself that I'm not as helpful as I think I am. Yeah. One of my mentors taught me many, many years ago, because I'm like you, I get very passionate. Why why can't this change? And and, and things he taught me, uh, he said, Richard, stop trying to boil the ocean. <laughs> I like that, yeah. yeah. No, it's and true. and you're, you're doing a great thing, you know, on this podcast and through your blogs and everything else. You're sharing wisdom with people, you're sharing insights, but... Not everybody is going to take that on board, and you can't take it on your own shoulders. Yeah, that you know everybody's going to listen to it because not everybody will listen. So, no, you're yeah. right on boiling the. I mean, it's a community effort. Yeah, individually we can't, but we can warm it up as as a, as a group. <laughs> um, and it's exactly that. I, I I remember what it was like when I was studying by myself, or when I was trying to figure out certain exploits by myself. This is years ago. And there wasn't as much of an internet community for those things. You had to know where to go. It's yeah. different now. You don't have to do these things by yourself. You can come to a Huntress event, you can go to any vendor's event probably, and say, hey, I'm not even with Huntress, but how are you guys doing this? We have this in some of, in some of our webinars where someone will be like, yeah, I don't use Huntress, but I do want to stop this, this, and this. Our community answers for us. Yeah. That's what we've built and it's, it relieves it. <laughs> it makes me feel a lot less stressed knowing that actually there are incredibly passionate, useful people. I don't have to boil the ocean. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. This managed service industry is phenomenal from that perspective where so-called competitors want to help each other yeah. to get ahead. It is one of the reasons why I love working in this industry. To that point, you've worked in the cybersecurity space for a, a good while now. What's the biggest change that you've seen over your time in this industry? That's such an important question. So I'm going to answer your question directly and then I'm going to go on a digression. So the biggest change that I've seen is the the inclusivity. I remember when you weren't elite unless you had certain qualifications or certain uh, exploits to your name. If you didn't have a CVE, you, you couldn't enter certain conversations. That's changed. Employers are now aware that asking for a degree in CompSci probably isn't gonna lead to getting a good cybersecurity mm. person. That inclusivity is the biggest change I've seen, but it's not the most important change, or it's, it's connected. The most important change I've seen is that inclusivity being welcomed to people from all backgrounds. I love the ladies of Huntress. We hire some incredible people that aren't just, and I've worked in companies where it was clear they wanted to hire people just to look good. They didn't want to have those people take leadership, feel um, a sense of fulfillment. Huntress is led by some of those powerful women of our industry. Jamie Levy, whose books 
taught me how to do digital forensics, leads our R&D department. And she is just so important and powerful and she helps other young ladies feel well, Jamie Levy's not a young lady, she's a wise lady, but she helps young ladies. And we've had them on our team who say, the fact that you have women leading, that's so important. That isn't to say that other people from other backgrounds and communities aren't important, but like I see firsthand the value in having our ladies, but I've also firsthand observed, and I was younger and I wish I would have said more things, people not give women the space they deserve yeah. in our community. And I was much younger and I wish at the time I would have been like, hey, that's not right. But now I would. And fortunately, Huntress is the kind of place you don't have to worry about this. I actually, it's part of my interview questions. I say to folks, how do you feel about diversity, inclusion and equality? And some people hear that and they roll their eyes. I don't. There's two reasons for that. One, I'm someone that comes from backgrounds myself. I want to make sure the person I work with isn't going to be a jerk. But the other thing is, hey, you're not going to enjoy this. Because yeah, we're all about that here. I've got my background on Zoom is, is all hackers are welcome and it's a sort of huntress rainbow background and that's the testament to what we've got going on there. That is the most important change I've seen. Um, and it's connected to that biggest of inclusivity for education, but yeah, of who people are accepting them. That's the most important. I love it. And we did a whole season on Subtalk. We tried our very best to shine a light on the most amazing women in tech and there are some incredible women working in tech across all vendors across all the managed service provider space the really interesting thing that i picked up was from speaking to so many of them so many of these ladies work in cybersecurity, and I've asked them on air and off air, well, what is it you got into that? And they said, I, you know, I love the challenge of it. I love the idea that I can be a hero to help people as well, yeah. and you know, I love the pace of change. So again, the industry as a whole, not just managed services, but IT as a whole, you know, I, I get told off for using this term "male dominated" because it's, you know, yeah. but it know is, it is. You know, there is a lot more men working IT than women, and we've got a problem with the perception of yeah. the industry. And yet, we've got this vanguard of these incredible ladies coming to work, women in IT, young women, women with wisdom, as you say, all sorts. And it's like brilliant. That's sending a new message to people. Yeah. Actually, IT isn't about like you know boring middle-aged guys sitting tapping on keyboards. It's for everybody, so absolutely love that approach and brilliant to hear that you know Huntress are, are doing that and putting it at the center of their values as well. We're running out of time now. I know you've got you've got a flight to catch I back to the uh, to, to the UK, so we will definitely won't uh, delay you from that one. Let's hear a little bit more about you, if we can, Dre. I'm Goodness. very intrigued, and I'm not the only one. What what does Dre do when he's not protecting the MSP community? So I exert an extraordinary amount of self control because I no longer sit at my computer. I used to stay and just, I was constantly researching new defensive techniques, all of that. So I um, I love cooking. Cooking is super, I mean, it's important to everybody because you've got to eat, but it's super important in my family. It makes, it reminds me of all of my family, all my mum's recipes, all of that. It's, it's so important. So I spend a lot of time cooking. Uh, I love animals. I love our dogs. I am constantly out there walking the dog, training the dog. We've actually just got a new papillon. Her name is Rue. She is a rehome. Um, but she is, is wonderful. She has absorbed all of my time. Uh, and the other thing that you'll often find me doing is mentoring. I hugely benefited from mentoring. I probably easily could have taken so many different turns, especially where I grew up. I had people who for no reason, I wasn't special, I wasn't even grateful at the time, helped me. And so I'd love to give back. I really enjoy giving back to isolated young men who are bordering on the um, incel community. And I, I don't do that for like, it's not like I identified with it, but I think I just saw a gap where it was like, hey, we need more men who are patient and understanding to bring those guys back from the brink. And, and funny enough, I actually meet a lot of them 
on hacking forums and discords. And you don't always know that they're kind of on that on that level until you see and observe some of the language that they have. And you just, you know, you drop them a DM being like, hey, we should talk about hacking sometimes. And it's a Trojan horse because you get in with the hacking and then suddenly you're trying to help them be, just be better. Because that's what I had. I had some, I had people, multiple people who were willing to make me better and I love to give back. I love that. And, you know, something you said about um, mentors, you've always had mentors who have helped you. Uh, I'm exactly the same. You know, I've been taught, trained, educated by the best, wisest, most successful people in this industry who have given freely of their time yeah. and energy and experience to help me out. So yeah. it's a wonderful thing to pay it forward. Who do you consider a mentor or perhaps an influence on your career? <sighs> I mean, we again, we are running out of time because I could go on endlessly. But I I think about some of my employers. So one of my first employers, a gentleman called Mark Gold, taught me that there is a pound sign at the end of everything. Now, that doesn't mean you don't do it, but it means you always keep that in mind. And because we're in tech, we are the cost center. Even though we know we keep things running, we're seen as the cost center. So he taught me that. I think the next influence I'd have to say is, it is Harlan Carvey. Harlan Carvey is, our, um, is, is a hero in the digital forensics community. And I don't like to tell Harlan this because it will go to his head. Harlan's books, alongside Jamie Levy's books, taught me how to do what we do. And Harlan's special. And I love talking to Harlan. I love working with Harlan because Harlan also taught me something. You do things right. You do things right because this matters. You do and collect evidence right because this could go to court and it could put somebody away who's done something awful. That's why this needs to be done right and precise. And Harlan's been so influential in so many people's careers. He has no clue. I hope he doesn't listen to this because I don't want to say this to him. Jamie Levy's books, I've already mentioned how influential they were. But I think what was super influential as well is how Jamie, people meet Jamie. And Jamie will talk to you about everything but computers. And I love that because <laughs> she knows so much. And she helps you feel comfortable to exist beyond computers. Uh, John Fitzpatrick, who uh, worked for MWR, then CTO for Jump Second, is now doing his own thing. John, I love John. And what I loved about John is so many people in our industry have had or lack flair and creativity. And for those that know John, John Fitzpatrick is the, I used to refer to him as the man who came down from the mountain. He has the truth. If John could implement one of his thousand ideas, he could solve all cybersecurity problems. The vision that man has, he almost taught me to be more bold and creative. He kind of, I worked under him. I didn't even work, John spent more time being the man on the mountain. I didn't even get that much time with John, but every time I did, he changed the way I thought about cybersecurity. It's so important. And the last person, I have to give a shout out to my mum. Uh, my mum instilled us with such a sense of responsibility and ownership. There was no shirking away from a responsibility under my mum. And there was no half-assing it. You whole-ass it or you do not do it. That's carried into cybersecurity. And people often ask, like, I, how, do, how did I get where I am? How do I get there? And I, you know, everybody says their mum. But I also think 50% of it is turning up with a smile on your face. But the other 50% is being willing to work as hard as anybody else there. Those mentors that I've had who gave freely, and there's other mentors I've had that I it's not relevant right now, but who kind of found me when I was a lot younger and were willing to take a chance on me when they, they didn't have to. They, I wasn't even that nice. I wasn't polite. They have all shaped me to mean that not only am I happy to be in this industry as, as hopefully someone that makes a small incremental change in, uh, for cybersecurity, 
I hope that I'm making a good change by being a mentor for other people. That's hugely important to me. You could tell me that my PowerShell scripts are bad, Richard, and I'd go, ah, whatever. If you tell me my mentoring's bad, I might cry. <laughs> people ask me about this industry, and I, you know, I wax lyrical about it. I just go on. I think it's the most wonderful, the managed service provider space. I think it is so wonderful. One of the reasons I personally wake up with a smile on my face uh, working in this industry every day is because the people who I've grown up reading their books, and so, yeah. so for me, it's guys like Eric Simpson, Carl Palachuk, have now become really close friends and I get to work with them. So yeah. I was smiling as you were talking then because I can see the enthusiasm. It must be really such a thrill for you to be working with people that you grew up admiring and now they're peers. It's a little bit surreal, but one of my favorite things to do, especially to Harlan, is to quote his books back to him, uh, especially with the page numbers, because I'll get the page number. I'll be like, well, Harlan, actually, on page six of... <laughs> but it's 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 also humbling, because I think one of the... And Harlan says this a lot. I'll describe him as an industry leader, and he's like, I'm not, I'm a practitioner. Or he'll really kind of move himself away from this pedestal. And I think sometimes in this industry, folks can feel imposter syndrome because they look at others who are either on a pedestal or put themselves on a pedestal and feel lesser than. And it takes folks like Harlan, like Jamie, like my colleague John Hammond, who's a huge YouTube star, to come and say, hey, sometimes I don't feel like I'm this thing that everybody says I am. Sometimes I feel like I don't maybe know something. That's huge. Yes, I have an ego, but sometimes even I doubt myself. And it's so, it's so humbling to hear someone like Harlan be like, hey man, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I love that. One final question about cybersecurity, and then we'll let you get off to your uh, to your very important flight back to the UK <laughs> and to your lovely dog. Um, how do you keep current with cybersecurity issues? Do you have any favourite resources or websites or podcasts that you can share with our listeners that I can? Uh, yeah, so Darknet say? Diaries has been a not so secret pleasure of mine. I love Darknet Diaries. I think that Jack Cider was doing something different when he brought that together because he was sort of vendor neutral had really interesting conversations, didn't insert himself too much, but kept the right balance of that. And it brought, I know loads of people who said they got into hacking because of those podcasts. The other things that I try to do is stay relevant with the research through any means necessary. So Twitter or x.com, yeah. readers don't put in two more x's. It's, That's tw it's Twitter. Thing. It's Twitter. Like, What's like he going to do? Man. Sue me. Yeah. He can't sue me. It's Twitter. Um, it's Twitter. <laughs> Twitter is my number one, and still even with the changes, resource. Uh, I know fewer and fewer people have moved on to other, like Macedonia, I can't comment on that, but Twitter has been my resource to go to, to link to other things. Mm. Uh, people will put out incredible research or like post zero days on there. And like, it isn't on anything else. They just posted it straight on Twitter or linked to like their own gist. Um, those are the sort of places that I end up going. But the other place that I think people underutilize is they don't make the most of open source intelligence or threat intelligence. Okay. So Grey Noise, they are, um, uh, how do I refer to Grey Noise? They're like global network internet sensors, right? They, they, they track when particular activity is spiking and going down. They make a butt ton for free. They give so much away for free. Like, it's actually crazy. And if you're a power user, I think they offer an API. I think it's locked behind a student account, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong anyway. Um, they're not a competitor, so I can gush about them. I think what, I think their CEO is Andrew Morris, is that? Is that his name? It could be. I could be mixing up. It's definitely Andrew something. I think what they do is wonderful. I think everything they've got to share is wonderful. And that is where I've been increasingly going more and more to see upticks in trends for things that Huntress, we don't see. Mm. Maybe we don't, you know, we're not looking at gateway devices. Maybe we're not looking for these particular things. They are. Make the most of resources. 
um, for free before before you pay for them. <laughs> yeah. And I'll ask you off air. I'll ask you to share those uh, resources with yeah. us. And again, for the benefit of listeners, we'll include all of them in the the show notes. It's something we pride ourselves on making sure yep. those people are out walking, walking the dog, driving in the car. Don't worry, we've got you back over on uh, tublog.co.uk. I guess I just want to find out what do you think we can expect from Huntress over the next 12 to 36 months? Because this is a super fast moving business, cybersecurity, managed services as a whole, but especially here in Europe, what do you think we can expect? For sure. So Huntress, what I like, what, one of the things I've enjoyed about Huntress is the autonomy that they're willing to extend to the regions. Uh, so the UK has just hired its first sort of regional sales director. What they've also done with that sales director is made sure it's a person of consequence. I mean that with kindness. They're not just going to be focused on sales. They're thinking about everything with the community. One of the things that we should expect to see in the UK is just like I was saying in the beginning, just us bothering people, not for sales, but just, hey, we want to know what's up. What do you want? What do you want from a UK Huntress? Yes, our product will not be um, stray from the main Huntress product, but our UK partners and our UK community are going to be just as important for how that product is influenced. In terms of global Huntress, so Huntress is, as everybody knows, a pre-IPO company. Um, the executive team is is gearing up. They're getting the war room ready for that. One of the things that's really interesting is a lot of folks hear that and think, oh, shoot, well, the minute Huntress gets sold, you know, they're going to be ruined. Right. And a lot of people also don't believe the BS that executives have that say, we're in this for the long run. I speak to our executives a reasonable amount for someone that my sort of low level. And they espouse this view enough that they care. This is... Their ego is tied up in this, and I mean that with positivity. They ain't selling this company and then getting out of here. This is everything to them. This community is too much for them. They can't just let it go. Maybe to the detriment. Maybe at some point they will be like, you need to go, dude. You need to go chill out. You should expect us, even with pre-IPO, to just get more money to have more cool stuff. We're not strapped for cash. We're going to keep iterating and having cool stuff, but it requires the community to tell us what they want. So the next thing coming will be network insights. So we've got process insights as part of our EDR. Network insights does exactly what it says on the tin. It's network telemetry. We're still working out because as folks will know, network traffic tends to be a lot more verbose. We're still working out how much we want to buy off for our beta, but we're slowly releasing that. The other thing that we're going to see, and folks don't I get this as well. Folks are used to vendors that produce a lot of tools and toys for the end user. Huntress is actually busy creating tools and toys for me, for the analyst. Right. And so actually we're really iterating hard. And this is led by Patrick Sofo, uh, PM, an engineering PM uh, with his team on iterating what does the Huntress of the future look like? How can we give analysts the best tools possible? And what does that look like? I wish we could show people more and I can't believe we don't. And I'm gonna go back now and ask if we can. What Huntress looks like now for a user, an analyst, what's it going to look like in the future, the near future? I'm so excited for that because it means a power user like myself is going to have all the tools they want, but also some of our entry-level folk, we're going to hold their hand. We've got investigative guides, documents. We're going to really make sure that there's no asymmetry in the work given and the work received, and I'm hugely excited for that. Wow. Dre, this has been an absolute pleasure no, to talk to you, my friend. So thank you very much. Before we go, I guess that you, you have going to made a load of raving new fans just listening to this. You're going to have a lot of people who are really curious about Huntress. And as we've already established, you know, I first heard about you in the Tech Tribe uh, going back and people were raving about you, the MSPs within the community there. Yeah. And I thought, who are these guys? I need to check them out. I've kept an eye on you over, you know, uh, the past few months and a couple of years or so. 
people who want to find out more about Huntress, where should they go? And if anybody wants to continue the conversation with you, Drive, where can they find you? Yeah, so I'll start with that because that's sort of the less interesting one. You can reach out to me on any medium. So I'm Dre Arga. Uh, you can Google that. You can put it on Twitter. You can put it on LinkedIn. Just DM me. I'm pretty chill. Um, just ask me good questions. If you ask me a bad question, I'll answer it, but I'll tell you it's a bad question. <laughs> For Huntress, it depends what you want to. If you are a super security person and you want to know more tech, I would suggest go to our Tradecraft Tuesdays. They're free webinars. We've got an archive of them. They're vendor agnostic. We, it's not about that. It's just about sharing cool stuff. If you're like, hey, I, I want to know more about the product. I don't feel like we've spoken about the product. Tell me more about the product. Sign up for a trial. When you sign up for a trial, there's no, you know, we don't make you give you credit card details or anything like that. It's only for 14 to 21 days. What I'd suggest you do is do that. Give the product a go, put it through its ringer, come back to us and say, hey, I tried this, why didn't I see this? Like, have that conversation with us. If you're like, I just kind of want to read more about Huntress, but I don't want to have to engage with that, have a look on our website, navigate to the sections that you want. The blogs will more often than not include tech information, but sometimes we include really down to earth, just simple stuff. Maybe we include stuff about, hey, here's how you can vet your next um, pen tester. Here's how you can begin to gear up for incident response plans. Like we, we, our blogs aren't just geared towards that, but I will say that a lot of the time they are for techies. And the last thing I say is if you're like, I don't even know what I want. I just want to know more about Huntress. These are some of the nicest people in the world. Agreed. It is ridiculous how lovely they all are. Reach out to any Huntress person you can. And all I ask is that you don't reach out to John Hammond because he's so busy. You can reach out to him and John's so nice. He will get back to you. But he's too busy to get back to You're me. Taking so he's taking his time away from importance. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And he's got to reply to my messages before he replies. But yeah, but you can reach out to me on Twitter, LinkedIn, any of that. If you're keen to break into the community, but you're not too sure, all I ask is when you come and, and ask me questions, bring your resume, bring your covering letter. Um, it just helps me offer better, better uh, answers. If you are keen to join Huntress, please note that wherever we have the location in the job posting, it is a hard rule. It's not me that chooses that. It's just we have to hire in certain locations because we need that for the time coverage. So if you're based in a country that we don't yet employ people in, I can't. You can DM me. We can get to know each other, but I won't be able to employ you yet. And I'm really sorry for that. Yeah. Dre, this has been a thrill. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. I'm so sad we don't get to hang out in uh, Amsterdam tonight. And, well, listen, you're we got, only, we got to, we got to come and do it another time. You're only up the road in Newcastle. It's only it's a handful of hours drive, right? <laughs> I'm always I so I actually I'm I live in the south, but I actually love the north. I think the north is fantastic. The only reason I'm not up in the north is because all my family's in the south. Yeah. I spent time in the north. I spent time in Yorkshire and Otley. I love. They've got a couple of MSPs up in, in that in that area of the world. We're doing a little tour in the UK. We're going to come and see those. If the podcast doesn't come out by then, that's fine because we're going to keep doing it. Yeah, we're, we're doing gonna... the, uh, the Breaches and Brews yeah. tour. So you and I are going to spend a little bit of time going to some lovely uh, breweries and distilleries on yep. the road there. And Huntress have very kindly asked me to uh, to join the party on that. So, uh, you know, but if you by the time you listen to this, those events will probably be passed by. But... As you said, there's there's big plans afoot for the UK here, so it's yeah. not going to be too. The budget's healthy, don't worry. Yeah. We're going to we're going to keep doing events. I've got the company card. We'll have as much pizza and alcohol as we can <laughs> possibly get away with. But no, thank you, Richard. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you both on and off the microphone. It's been oh, fantastic. Thank my you. pleasure, my friend. Thanks for uh, gracing us with your presence. I appreciate it. Listeners, if you've enjoyed that podcast and you want to pick up on any of the show notes, any of the resources, links, anything else that Dre and I have mentioned, you can go to tublog.co.uk forward slash Huntress and we'll include everything there. Thanks for joining us. I'll look forward to seeing you on the next Tub Talk, the podcast for IT consultants. Cheers. 
Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.